Welcome to the On Your Marks podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Wood from GW Active. This is the podcast where we chat to the founders, leaders, and innovators behind the brands that inspire you to get on your starting blocks. The world of sport is competitive by nature, and a business that underpins it often has an interesting story behind it. And with this podcast, we aim to get an insight into those that drive it forward. On this episode of the On Your Marks podcast, I chat to Paul McCabe, CEO and founder at Pulse Roll. Paul has run his own business for the last 20 years and in 2016 spotted a gap in the sports rehab market with a vibrating foam roller. Since then, Paul has grown the brand Pulse Roll to the extent that the brand name has now become the vibrating foam roller equivalent of the Hoover. It will be obvious to hear from this conversation that Paul is a passionate and dedicated entrepreneur with a positive outlook. The expansion of his product range has meant his products are now the go-to sports rehab choice of some of the top Premier League football clubs and world champion boxers. We started the conversation by asking Paul about his younger years. So a place called Presswich in North Manchester, which is um, three or four miles away from the city centre. I think when I say the word Manchester, my accent really bloody comes out. I can hide it quite well until I say where I'm from, but hey, you, you need to embrace it. I know exactly what you mean. When I'm down in, down south, my accent changes a little bit. Back up north, exactly the same. Um, so what did your parents do when you were growing up? Parents. So my mum looked after me and my brother and worked part-time in a, a factory, more just kind of admin work. I think she spent all day uh, drinking coffee of tea and eating biscuits, chatting with the pals. So I think she, she loved her work. Um, and then my dad was a painter and decorator. So he'd be decorating people's houses up and down ladders. And he didn't pack in work till he was 77, 78. We, we just couldn't get his paintbrushes out of his hands. And he loved being around people. Was he uh, a business owner or was he working for someone else? Really? Yeah, he, he had his own painting, um, painting and decorating company. Only a very small one. He had three or four people working for him. And, Half the time on Mondays he didn't turn up because he was hungover from the weekend. So it was quite a small informal setup. But to be fair, he, he had it on his own shoulders. And before that, he had three or four of his own businesses as well. So I guess it was something that, that got passed down to me. No, yeah, that, that's why I was asking. That's quite interesting. And, and did you play sport at school? Were you a sporty person or did you more academic? Definitely not academic. Definitely not. But the idea of homework still gives me shivers now. Um, <laughs> No, love sport. Sport's crazy. Football was my main sport. Um, but love getting on my bike, love cricket. Um, any kind of rough and tumble, love boxing, um, climbing trees, you name it. Uh, I love sport and I, I still do now. And um, did you go to university or did you go straight into working life? Pretty much straight into work. I went to college to study a computers course, which I was I'd say I was interested in the computers, but more playing computer games. So that was probably the closest thing for me. So I did a, it's called a BTEC National um, computer course, showing my age now. Um, but to be honest, it just wasn't for me. I got through the first year and in the second year, I messed around, spent a lot of time playing fruit machines and pool and stuff and, and didn't even pass the course, to be honest. Um, yeah, it just wasn't, just wasn't for me. I did a bit of research for this interview and I couldn't find much information about you from, from when you were younger up until you started Pulse Roll. So like, what did you do from, and if you don't mind asking, how old are you now? 
Well, I've had to hide a lot of my identity because there was a lot of me about on Crime Watch going back in the 90s. So I've had to, I'm joking. So um, there were probably not much research you could find on, on LinkedIn. Um, what was your question? Sorry, what was I doing before? Full yeah, so what, what, what age are you now? And then, uh, like, yeah. So 45 now. 45. And I started my own business when I was 25. Wow. So um, the business is IT Asset Management, which is basically a long-winded name for getting in old computers from companies when they upgrade. We take off all the data, make sure they're secure, and then we sell them back out to developing markets who still want second-hand computers. So I started that at 25, and not a lot of people know. I still am in that industry now, so I juggled two businesses, Pulse Roll and my computer business. Wow. So when you finished college and you, you pulled out of that, what did you do from then until you were 25 to start a business? Because part of this podcast is people who are uh, a younger age wanting to find out what they want to do. And I think that'd be quite informative. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it took me until the age of 40 when I started Pulse Roll to really find something that I love with a passion. Um, and before that, even though I had my own business, it was very much just a job. It was just a commodity. It was just a means to an end and, and a little bit of passion, but nowhere near enough passion that you should, you know, you should eventually find. Um, so I left college at 17. I, I got a job working for Joe Bloggs, the clothing company. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who might, might not remember them. Um, and it was just more of an admin job. Um, helped out for a couple of years. And then I got a job working for uh, a football teammate who had an IT company. So I got a job with, with him when I was 19, 20. Worked through the ranks for four or five years, became sales manager, even though I was younger than all of the other sales guys. So that was a tricky one, trying to manage your mates. Um, and then left at 25 to set up my own company with a, a business partner at the time. How did that happen, that, that first business, like with your business partner? Was it a moment where you thought, I don't want to work in a, in a job anymore, or it was something to do with the actual job itself that forced you to create this business? I think in... The role for me, it was a case of you understand how business works, where you can buy from, who you can sell to, work out your margins, and you think, well, if I can make X amount for a, for a company or for a boss, I can replicate that and go go and do it myself. And while the grass isn't always greener and, and running a company is A to Z, rather than as a salesman, you do literally just that. So you've got to take on account that you've got to be good at everything, even though you might have no skills or appetite for it. So it's not always so easy, but... It was more just I spotted an opportunity and something in me just felt time to become my own boss. Yeah, fair enough. And the business partner you started with, is that the same business partner you've got today? No, we, we stuck together for probably three years and we probably got spoiled because business started quite well. And within the space of two, three years, we had a, a pretty decent company. And a, a few things changed with the market which affected us, which wasn't our fault. But I think if honestly, we were a little bit too immature and probably felt it was all a little bit too easy and lost a little bit of focus. Um, and as you know, momentum's key in life, whether you've got positive or negative momentum, you know, it's then quite difficult to turn it around. So I think we started well, the market hit us, and then we, lo- we took our eye off the ball. Um, and before you know it, you're, you're looking for the lifeboats. <laughs> and then when that relationship kind of broke down, you started up a new business on your own, or was that again with another partner? And how did that No, uh, on my own. And- while my business partner was a really good guy, I think I realized that um, it's sometimes better to have um, your destiny in your own hands and then you live and die by your own decisions, your own success and what you put into it rather than relying on a business partner. 
So for me, if I was ever going to go with a business partner, they would need to be far, far, far better than me in loads of areas. And if so, I could almost ride the back of their coattails. Um, but in general, I've just always liked to kind of live and die by my own decisions and what I put in, what I get out. That's, that's a good answer because I was going to ask you, like, what's the comparison for working by yourself and working with a partner as well? And that's something people juggle. And you often hear stories of people wanting to work with a business partner because of that reason, complementary skill sets. How have you found that's working on your own? You've managed to fill in the gaps in those skill sets that you didn't have. And did you have any problems doing that? Yeah, well, we're just going back to when I finished with my business partner. So I then started again on my own. And I think I've had another two or maybe three businesses doing the same IT idea. And to be honest, they've all failed. Um, they all got two, three, four years down the line and they all ended up in the same position of either not keeping up with market changes or, or to be honest, because of my own, um, my own mindset and my own focus. You get out what you're putting in general and, and my head wasn't focused enough, hungry enough, dedicated enough to make it a success. So. Kept, kept starting again, kept failing, kept starting again, kept failing. But what, what it does is it really, really toughens you up. So when you're going through bad, difficult times in life, you've got reference points of either having sad times through family losses or difficult times through uh, personal or business finances. So it kind of toughens you up. Um, so my, my current IT business has been running for nine years now, my longest business ever. So it seems like finally... I caught the right formula because I'm now sticking at something. Um, in, in terms of working on your own, it, it can be quite lonely because you'd like other people to pick up a little bit more of that slack and um, a bit of that responsibility, even though I've got a brilliant team. But ultimately, it falls on your shoulders. When you're in the office at 9 o'clock at night or 7 o'clock at night on a Sunday afternoon, it's just you. But you, you've got to embrace that, appreciate the opportunity, and get on with it. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're not going to embrace it, don't sign up for it. Go and, go and do something different. So that kind of leads well into, into Pulse Roll and, and how you started that. You say it was five years ago when you started it. Yeah, just under five years. So to try and keep it short, my IT business pretty much revolves around one customer. I've got one Golden Goose customer that gives us stock every month, every month, and it's quite a successful, low-maintenance business. But I thought my grown-up life revolves around getting revolves around getting one phone call or one email at the wrong time to say thanks very much Paul but we're now doing something else and at the time I was due to get married hopefully have a kid which both happened and I thought I could be under a lot of pressure as a dad and a husband if things go pear-shaped so I wanted a plan B so I went over to China to an innovations event where you see everything that's available today and in the next six 12 months so I saw all of these various different ideas I saw cuddly toys that are made for John Lewis. I saw um, um, fairground type thing for playgrounds for kids for slides. And I'm just looking for a commodity. And I saw a vibrating foam roller. And it was the first version that I'd, that I'd heard of. And because I'm into fitness, I just thought foam rollers are very popular. Um, it's the evolution of the foam roller. Let's just jump on it, buy a load, sell them over Christmas. Next thing you know, everybody's jumped on it on the bandwagon and then keep going to China once a year and keep bringing the new commodities just to, just to buy and sell. Nice. Interesting. So you kind of, you're a sports fan, a sports mad fan with a business background and you're looking for a product that you thought would fit in, uh, in into your life. And, and this one jumped out at you and, and you've kind of grown with it. So in that first year, when you had those, 
those first orders come through. Uh, how, how did you manage to um, think about the future at that point in time? Or was it just something you're doing for fun? So first of all, there was no orders coming through. Um, <laughs> again, I was actually going to go into this with a business partner who would become a friend through my computer business. So we were both going to chuck in five grand each into, into this idea with China. And about a week before we were supposed to send the money, he got cold feet, um, which in the end did me a huge favor, in all honesty. But he got cold feet and I thought, well, my wife's pregnant now. I know nothing about this industry. No disrespect to the guy in China, but who knows what I'm going to get, if anything. Um, thought, bugger it, let, let's do it. So my idea was I've got 500 foam rollers, vibrating foam rollers. I'll sell 100 to, to um, David Lloyd, 100 to Pure, 100 to Nuffield Health, move them on. So I got back, sent out all the samples. Nobody was interested in the products. They said, there's no demand, there's no need, too expensive, thanks, but no thanks. So I was at zero, because when I came into this industry, that was my experience. A blank piece of paper. I had no contacts, no know-how, nothing. Um, so it was only then that I decided to take a step back for whatever crazy reason and look to create a brand by going to events at the NEC, um, getting products out to influencers, professional sports stars, celebrities. Um, and then I started broadening the product range with things like vibrating, vibrating peanuts, vibrating balls. So I didn't want to be a one-trick pony with a roller. I wanted to actually broaden the product um, range to become more of a, of a brand. And then we started our own training course. So showing people how to use the products. Education is the buzzword over the last few years. So we thought it's great people buy your products, but we want them to understand how to get the best out of the product because they will be your best cheerleaders to recommend you. So were you creating all these different products before you had any real knowledge of that this would grow or did you kind of like have a feeling that you had to create this range in order to create the interest in pulse roll i think once i started and i started putting all of my computer business money into this money i got so far in that there was no turning back yeah. and i love what i was doing anyway i found hard work all of a sudden became very easy i really enjoyed it uh, i was speaking to people that that i enjoyed talking to Rather in the computer game, I'd be trying to talk to corporate IT managers who don't really give a monkeys about the job. They've got no passion in what they do. They're not interested really in what I'm saying. And I'm not even really that interested in what I'm saying to them either. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was you know, it wasn't what, what what got me going. So when we were at events and I'm speaking to people and they said, We love your rollers, but we still use a hockey ball or two tennis balls in a sock to reach smaller, harder to reach areas. I went back to the factory. And they said, we need smaller products. Let's look to develop smaller products that, that could pinpoint. So I was very much involved with the product development of growing the range. Oh, so it's interesting. And it's interesting how you've kind of developed a different range around like things that you were learning off people you were speaking to, the influencers, the athletes. So you were kind of molding it around them rather than on your experience, which Sometimes I was going to ask, did your inexperience in the area you think actually help you because you were keen to learn more than someone who had a set way of thinking? Definitely. I, I had no preconceptions about the industry or about people. Um, I had no ego. I had no knowledge. So I thought, when you're speaking to informed people, you can't 
you can't blag a blagger. You can't pull the wool over people's eyes when they know what, you're, what they're talking about. Because if you do, you'll, you'll embarrass yourself and you'll lose all credibility. So quite often, if I didn't know an answer, I'll say, I'll be honest, I need to go back and find that information, I'll come back to you. Or quite often, I'd say to people like physios and other people is, tell you what, here's what I think the product does. Go and play with it for 10 minutes. You come back to me with an informed kind of opinion of what you feel the products do. So I think people like that kind of refreshing honesty of not really trying to force something on somebody. Here's, here's how I feel it benefits. Go and work it out yourself and tell me if you agree. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And like, I, I was just thinking then, and my questions are based around the business you're at currently, but like you've, I looked at your website and you've got a range of different sports on there and a lot of different stars. Like I've actually come across quite a few of them, like uh, Eilish McCogan and Harry Kinizariti, they're athletes from my athletics background, but also boxing. I'm, I'm a boxing fan and you've got Anthony Crawler, I think I saw on there, which is he's a Manchester guy as well. And like, you've got a wide range of sports on there. And I think from like observations, it sounds like you had no fear in contacting these different people because you wanted to get this stuff out there. You weren't bothered about your ego. You wanted to get this product into people's hands. Do you think that is an accurate representation? I think because I've always been in sales, I've always been a little bit fearless of what's the worst that can happen. And I understand sales is a numbers game. Sometimes it's not personal. It might be just about timing. It might be that the buyer is just, you know, an idiot. It might be that he's just having a bad day. So I try not to take rejection too personal. And I understand that if I don't get them first time round, I might get them second or third time round. Um, but, you know, I've got Anthony Joshua using my products. I met him twice. Wow. And, you know, what, what a great guy. What you see is what you get. And he's used our products for three years. Uh, Man City, as a club, bought our products for the full first team squad during the first lockdown. Man United are trying our products. All of the England cricket team is using our products. Um, Justin Rose, big name golfer. So... All of these sport, Marcus, Marcus Rashford um, using. So all of these names I love and admire on TV, I'm getting to meet these people or they're using my products. And for me, that's really humbling. The guy that knew nothing about what he was doing has now got all these world names and world clubs deciding that our products are good enough to help, to help them. Nice, no, that's fantastic. And, and another angle um, in terms of like a... Like someone who's interested in the marketing side of things, the way you've gone about it is you promoting your brand through these, these athletes. And when you were doing it from the start, did you have that intention or was it just, I'm interested in these people. I wanted them to use my product, but you didn't have a master plan for it. Or was your master plan to use influencer marketing in that way? As of today, I'm still making it up as I go along. I'm still learning. Um, I think it's really important to not be scared of making bad decisions. Not bad decisions, sorry. Don't be scared of making decisions that don't work out to the maximum. Because if you're too scared to make a decision, you won't make any good decisions either. So for me, when it comes to decision making is, is do you due diligence? I very much go off my gut instinct. Um, and when you make a decision, go all in. But when you do make decisions is don't make ones where if it doesn't work out, that it will kill you financially so dip your toe in if it doesn't work take your foot back out and you've not lost too much if the water's quite warm put your foot in put your knee in and, and build up that trust and keep going on so don't, don't be scared of making um decisions no. um, which i don't even think really answers your question 
what was your question again? No, it's fine. No, you, you got an idea. Of, I just, in terms of the role of the athletes and the people, the influencers within the kind of sports world, what role do you think they play in it? In, in terms of the future growth? Of yeah, it? so so some of the athletes have contacted just because I was purely a sports fan. So you're a boxing fan, Kel Brook, for example, one of my big, big sports um, um, boxing guys that I look up to. So I contacted this trainer. Um, Ingle. Four or five, yeah, Dominic Ingle, four or five weeks before he fought uh, Golovkin, Triple G. Mm. So I sent uh, Dominic a quick message on Twitter. Um, Hi, Dominic, I'm a massive Kel Brook fan. I'd love to send you a couple of products, no strings attached, and see what Kel thinks. He said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you pop up? I'm like, pop up? Bloody hell, I walked there barefooted. <laughs> so, so I drove up to Winkapan, the, 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 the gym which is famous, you know, Harold, um, um, what's his name now? He's a commentator, Sky. Johnny Nelson. Johnny Nelson, um, the Brendan Nelson. Mm-hmm. So a famous place. I love getting in there. Met Kel Brook. He's using the products, chatting to him. And here's me as a fan. Forget being a business owner. I'm, I'm there as a fan. So some of the people are contacted because I'm a fan. And some because of the, the profile. Um, for example, Anthony Joshua, through my link with GB Boxing, I managed to get up to meet him at EIS Centre in Sheffield, where he trains. So when I, when I got in there, he was there. I was at the other end of the gym. He had his, his entourage of seven or eight people. And I had to kind of pick everyone off to get closer to, my, to chatting with him. So it's as if they were all, not testing you, but they're all gatekeepers because they appreciate that brands are trying to jump on him every second. So I kind of befriended five or six people and probably five, six hours later, um, literally the lights are going out at the gym and the woman's coming around with a mop to, to clean up. And I thought, I've got to make a, I've got to go for this now. He's there, I'm here. So I saw him walk, walk past me with his towel on. He'd just come out of the shower. I said, hey, AJ, how, how are you? How are you doing? And he said something like, um, Hey, Mr. Pulchol, I know exactly why you're here with a smile. And I said, AJ, I'm just trying to put food on the table. So we had a smile, went through another one or two people, and then finally, about 11, 10 o'clock at night, let's have a chat. And we're there chatting for 10 minutes like mates. And I said, forget business, I'm here as a fan. And we chatted for 10 or 15 minutes, and um, I didn't sleep that night. I was so excited, I got home. I don't, I don't mind admitting. Um, but, but what I did then, it was always my dream to work with Anthony Joshua, A, as a fan, and B, as a brand, and, and, and you know, as an athlete. So I started befriending all of his, in the circle of his team. But in a, in a natural way, you can't fake to people that you want to be the mates. You've got to earn their respect and trust. So I spent a lot of time becoming genuine friends with a lot of his team, his cousin, head of security, people that plan his camp. So I've almost picked off his team um, subconsciously, and now they're all using my products, which is... Which is very humbling. Right, it's actually a good strategy, and I'm I'm sure like that they, they respect that kind of strategy as well. Like it's not like on purpose you've gone out there to do something like that. You've actually gone there as a fan, and you're actually interested in getting your product into these people's hands. So it's it's something to learn that, and it takes a lot of guts to do something like that. And do you think that you personally are the kind of person that is just that way inclined, or do you think that someone who isn't that way inclined can can learn this kind of skill? 100% because people will say, well, he can do that, she can do that. They're natural at doing that. Yes, you might be born into or brought up in, a, in an environment that helps that bring it out in you a little bit. But in general, you can teach yourself anything you want. If you want to spend time on self-development, whether it's reading books, podcasts, talking to people that are more experienced than you in certain areas, 
you can become pretty damn high level in any in any area of life. So it's a very easy cop out for people to say, well, he's he's born with it. It's easy for him. It's easy for him because of all the hard graft and all the mistakes and all the uncomfortable moments that he's had building up to that level of being pretty good. Mm. Doesn't it's not just flick a switch. So yes, we're all a little bit more drawn to certain areas of our character. But if you put yourself in uncomfortable situations and you're prepared to be honest and you want it enough and you're prepared to self-teach as well, you can become a very high level in, in anything that you want to be. No, that's very, very interesting. And so just to go back to Pulse Roll, and where do you think it's going to go in the next five years? Funny, um, good question. Um, if you'd have asked me about 12, 15 months ago, my idea would have been, sell it for a couple of million quid, go back to having a normal life. Um, but now, as the more and more I'm getting into portrait, I absolutely love it. I'm obsessed, I'm addicted, I'm besotted, I'm bonkers. <laughs> I'm crazy about it. Yeah. But I've made peace with that, and I accept it as a strength. Um, so now, if you said to me right now, yeah, I'll go, Paul, it's two million quid, go and bugger off, I'll, I'll buy your company. I'd probably say thanks, but no thanks, which would be quite a strange answer. So I, I love it so much. So now I'm just looking at the next three, four, five years of growing, becoming global properly. And then I'll, then I'll look at it from there. Um, because what it, what it does when you start a business, it really takes away a lot of your life. You've got to make a lot of sacrifices. My personal well-being and mental health has really suffered as a result of pulse roll. Um, you know, you do, you do sacrifice a lot. So if somebody said to me, my journey was particularly difficult for the first three years. Um, if someone said that's going to be it now for the next 10 years, probably would have walked away because it was too, too painful, too difficult. But now it's finally getting different types of pressure that I know that there's a mid and a long-term plan. The only reason I stuck at it for the first three years because I had a, lot, I had a master plan. So I thought short-term pain for long-term gain. Um, so for me now, it's just grown it as a, as a global brand, keep loving what we're doing, grow the team, bring in more and more um, ready-made people to the team that bring different skill sets and experiences and, and um, stay hungry, keep working. No, that's interesting. And the, the, the master plan, like you said, like, do you think those first three years, if you didn't have that big master plan, you'd have got through it? And do you think that's the reason why people stop doing something like what you're doing? in those first three years? I'm a little bit fortunate in a way because I've got my own computer business because that's been the, the sugar daddy for full troll, if I'm honest. It's my computer business has milked every single penny to life out of my computer business because it's it's such a hungry cashy in brand pull troll because I'm so aggressive with the growth and the marketing because I know the opportunities are there. So I probably invested which is quite depressing to think about it, probably 200, 250 grand. So basically every penny my computer company has made over the last four years has gone into my pulse roll business just to grow them foundations because I've been very aware that you've got to grow solid foundations otherwise you'll get found out. So for me, I'm building, building, building and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll just explode because we've got that machine built. Um, but yeah, if there wasn't a plan, you'd pack it in. Um, and, and also, I had a little girl four years ago who's almost as old as Paul Troll. And if I'm honest, she's been my driving force. Um, she really is. She's, she's why I do it. Why is it bugger it? I think, why? What's the point? 
So she, she recharges me every night to feel brand new. Um, I've got a brilliant wife who's very supportive, who's helped financially to run our house. I've got two businesses, yet she's the one that's had some money over the last four years. <laughs> so you, you, you need that right support um, around you and that right reason of why to do it and why to stick at it. No, that's interesting about how you said about your, your kid being the driving force. Why do you think that is about your child being the driving force behind it? Is it something to, to show that you're doing something productive with your life or is it like the fact that you want her to get involved in this kind of area of work in the future or what is it? I mean, she's already delegating, so I'm sure she's going to have her own business one day. She's, she's very good at getting other people to do her stuff. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily a case of that I'm trying to provide a better future for my family because that's the kind of the cheesy normal answer which is true but for me money is not everything as you know there's never enough money so why is she my driving forces is maybe because I was an older dad at 40 I appreciate being a dad more than maybe if I was a bit younger I've, I've done my own stuff that I can focus on on my daughter after myself and um, she just recharges me every single night to make me feel brand new and bulletproof and unstoppable every single day. So every day I've got the, the most phenomenal energy to go again, to go again, to go again, and keep being consistent. But what it is key, you've got to love what you do, otherwise you'll get found out. I'm gonna go into now a bit more granular in terms of like how you structure your days and that sort of thing. Cause I think it might be interesting for people to think how the CEO of a product company works. I know every day is kind of different and I imagine you're a busy person with lots of different meetings, but could you describe a, a day in a working week for you? Like what time you wake up, eating patterns, that sort of stuff. Um, so alarm will go off about 7.15 and um, normally then our little girl will run into, into our bed. She'll get in bed for, for 10, 15 minutes. I'll struggle to get out of bed. My little girl will struggle to get out of bed and my wife will be trying to drag us both out of bed to get on with the day. I'm, I'm quite a slow starter in the mornings where at night time, I can work till eight, nine, 10, 11 o'clock every night, 10 days on the run, not a problem. Mornings, I'm a little bit poor, if I'm honest, but through having a kid, you get better whether you like it or not. Yeah. But it is important to start your day reasonably early. Otherwise, for me personally, you feel that you're always catching up. So if you can start even an hour earlier than your norm, it takes off that pressure um, for when it's busy with incoming. But a typical day now is probably five or six Zoom meetings a day. So probably at least five hours a day on, on meetings. Um, then you've got to speak to your internal team. Um, and all at the same time, I've got incoming work coming in, but I've also got my own proactive ideas that I want to work on. So I'm very much kind of gluing the team together now, was creating relationships. But I like to get my hands dirty and do my own work as well. So unfortunately, the only time I really get my own proactive work done is at the weekend. So I come in at least once a week at the weekend, do six, seven hours, but I'll get maybe four days work done in one day at the weekend because there's no income coming. Yeah. So again, you've got to embrace working at the weekend. Um, don't, don't feel hard done by, embrace opportunity. So my day in general is probably five hours of meeting, chatting to the internal team, and if I'm lucky, maybe um, half an hour of my own work, maybe an hour if I'm lucky. So it's incredibly important to structure your day. So every day I write for the next following day in the evening what I've got to work on. And I'll also circle certain things that I have to do at least two of these you know particularly important roles 
because my to-do list might have 40 things on it, but there'd be three or four or five game-changing things. I call them game-changers. You have to identify them, and you've got to sign up to them every day, that no matter what, when I leave work today, I've done at least one or two of them. Don't make any excuses. So time management is um, an incredibly tough, challenging skill to learn. You never stop improving that. So are you strict with yourself at night times when you do that game changer work? Are, are you, is there some nights where you think, oh, not today, I'll work it out? No, I'd say nine times out of ten. As you know, bad habits are very, very easy to get into. But so are you getting good habits. you just got to stick in it for two or three days. Yeah. Um, and it's all about, and it's a really boring word, but it's all about consistency. Mm. It's, it's just putting that imprint in your mind of what I do and what I don't do. Um, so for me, mental toughness, I'm, like I said, I'm not academic and I'm not smart in loads of areas. Most of my staff are smarter than me in most things. But what I've really worked on over the years is mental toughness and resilience um, and problem solving. And, and don't go around the houses talking too much about stuff. Get on with it and do it. Don't just talk a good story. Get on with it. It's, we're, we're in the results business in life. Definitely. And how do you switch off at the end of the day? I know you mentioned your daughter and she's a person that gives you energy. But is there another way that you switch off? Is it, is it exercise? Is it like a Netflix documentary or a TV show? Or what is it? So we train in the warehouse um, once or twice a week. So we've got some rings and stuff and fire extinguishers to use for squats and stuff. So train in the warehouse, but not as much as I should do. Again, I'm not in that right habit at the minute. And, and, as, and as, a, um, as a consequence, my eating isn't particularly good. Um, I need to, again, get better on that. So my switch off really is the minute I get home from work at 6.30, 7.30, 8.30, I've got my little girl at the top of the stairs singing Daddy's Home songs. So for me, <laughs> you're brand new straight away. It, it's, it's priceless. So time with my little girl, when I put her to bed every night, um, I have the bedtime routine. And normally she's running around like a, a lunatic and my wife's going crazy at me. But when she finally settles, I'll hold her hand while she's on the bed or we'll both fall asleep on the floor. So for that kind of half an hour time, I don't have my mobile phone with me. It's the only time in the world that I have a mobile phone. Even though I'm quite often thinking about the day, kind of digesting it, it's my time with her just to try and switch off from the world. So that's my switch off. And then I'll watch a little bit of TV in bed. I love watching um, travel programs, but travel programs where they go and live with the kind of the, the locals. Mm around the world train journeys. There's a guy called Bruce Parry who lives with all the tribes and stuff. He's an inspiration to me. So I love travel anyway. That's one of my biggest passions is, is, is put your life into kind of travel documentaries. So I'd say that I'm a little girl, my dad, who's 87, who's my hero. I'm lucky still to have him. And, and of course my wife as well. I get in trouble for that mention her. <laughs> no. So do you have any, I know you mentioned your dad as an important person and a hero, um, but do you have any mentors or people that you've looked up to over the years? And it, it could be via the form of uh, books or um, videos and that sort of stuff. I'm not really much of a reader. Again, it's just an excuse. It's, we, we can make time for anything that we want in life if we put enough uh, importance on it. And I obviously don't put enough importance on it. I'll read a quarter of a book on holiday and it'll take me three years to, to finish reading it, even though it's a brilliant book. Um, so in terms of mentors, 
going back a little bit, you, you can't choose your parents. It's a luck of the draw. I was lucky. I was blessed with two the greatest parents I could ever dream of. So I was given that that kind of that foundation. My dad was really hard working. He'd work at the weekends. He'd, he'd often go to the casino on a Friday night, lose all the rent money, then have to work all Saturday day and Saturday night to get the money back. But he was accountable to himself. So I had that that work ethic from my dad, that love from my mum and my dad. Um, my best pal in America that we grew up very competitive. He lives in America now. We were always very sporty. He was a couple of years older than me, so we were always pushing each other on. Uh, I've always had a brilliant friends network. I've been blessed with a lot of great friends. Um, over the last three or four years on my pulse roll journey, I've met more people that have supported me in the last four years than I have known in the last 20 years. It's just funny when you surround yourself with similar-minded people who are positive, who want you to do well for the right reasons, who are interested in you. Because it's all too often, too many people you surround yourself with, they don't mean it, but they're a little bit, bitter's not maybe the right fair word, but they don't really like people doing too well because then they get the chance to reflect on them of why am I maybe not doing too well? They like the norm to be their norm. Well, I try to make my norm be any norm I want it to be. So I try and surround myself with the, the right type of people that, that want to give and take to be part of a, a friendship. So um, I've met some great people. In terms of people that I listen to, there's a guy called Dr. Vincent Peel, and um, he's an old-time guy, and he was Donald Trump's guru. Well, obviously, Donald Trump's a right muppet, as far as most of the world's concerned. But one thing he is, he's been very successful and incredibly positive-minded, incredibly. So I heard if he was good enough for Donald Trump, I thought I'd look him up about a year ago. And he's an old guy. I don't even know if he's still alive. He, he was in his, probably in his 70s, in the 1980s. And I think he was a pastor in the church. And I'm not religious. But he used to talk about the art of positive thinking. And it was just, the, the, it's a YouTube series that I listened to. Um, and it just, just connects with me. And his just way of positive thinking, of positive thinking is cut through the excuses, appreciation, which is key, because there's always people far, far worse off than anybody. Um, so he's been quite an influence. Um, and again, this travel guy called Bruce Parry, who goes to live with the locals, and you'll see after six months when he leaves them, he's got tears in his eyes, and, and everybody in the village is crying. <laughs> you know, so you, you can make these phenomenal bonds with people who you would think, they're not my normal type of people. I, I like to go for good people. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to, to, to hear that. And it seems like since you've been doing a, something you love, the people that you've wanted to be around you have, have surrounded you in a way. Like you've actually gone out and acted a certain way and then the right people have surrounded you in that regard. That's, that's really interesting. And I, I, can, um, I can relate to it in a lot of ways in, in what I do as well. So I, just as a, another thing, what would you say to someone who wanted to get a job at Pulse Row? And it kind of should reflect what you just said there, really. But someone wants to get a job to work with you and to, to, to be around you. What qualities do they need to have? So high energy, um, passion, be determined, um, be creative, how they're going to grab our attention, maybe come up with some ideas or a proposal of what they would bring to the table. So they're going to spend their time to put something together, which will probably go in the bin of somebody's email. However, it will prove that these guys are prepared to take the time to invest in themselves and an opportunity, and they can back up what they might do. 
So I think be creative, be persistent. Um, don't hide behind just talk. Admit that you'll be judged on results. Be eager to learn because no one knows it all. I'm 45 with four or five businesses. I still don't know it all. I've got so much to learn and I love learning. So for me, if somebody thinks that they know most of it, that's not the kind of person for me, whether they're 23 or 53. I don't really want to meet them kind of people. Um, so just be hungry. Just just be hungry. And in 10 years' time, I know it's a while off that, like if you were here on a, on a call like this, chatting to someone, how would you describe yourself then? So not now, in this position you are now with Pulse Roll and your young child. How would you describe yourself in 10 years' time? I just think somebody that was that's all in, in everything I do, whether it's business, being a dad, sports, at the bar drinking, um, you name it, I'm always all in and sometimes that's for the better and sometimes that's for the worse, if I'm honest. But I think um, understand your weaknesses, understand your areas that you want to improve in and, and don't shy away from them. Try and become the best you can in every single component in your life. Don't just swerve some of them because they're not natural fit. So I think just somebody that's passionate, loyal, um, hardworking, never hid behind excuses or reasons um, and had fun along the way. Oh, nice. And I've got some quick fire questions to ask you now, just to get a bit of an uh, idea about some of the little things you like in life. So, um, favourite film? This will be a bit of a shock one. Uh, the Wizard of Oz. Why is that? So I, I watched that obviously as a little kid and it's just such a nice story. Um, and again, it comes down to appreciation. I'm very big into appreciation. Um, just a lovely story. It just gripped me when I was a young kid. Um, and, and people always say to me that you're always chasing the yellow brick road and I am but I'm trying to make my own yellow brick road you can achieve whatever you want if you want it enough um, make your um, make something that's not reality become reality so I guess that story is a little bit of a nice nice story in the movie no fair uh, favourite TV show probably lose a lot of uh, people that like me now. EastEnders, believe it or not. <laughs> a northern lad liking EastEnders, that's, that's a new one. The most doom and gloom TV show in the world, but yeah, I love it. <laughs> not Coronation Street then? I used to watch it for a while, and I got behind the scenes once on Corrie because we're all using the products, but um, EastEnders. EastEnders, fair. Favourite shoe brand? Um... See, I've not really got one. Nike. Favourite clothing brand? Um, Sports clothing brand? Adidas. Adidas. Favourite sport? I know it's hard for you with the variety of... Football. Football, straight out to it, fair enough. Yeah. Um, Favourite podcast or radio show? Don't really listen to either, if I'm dead honest. Um, Bruce Parry, he does some really interesting um, podcasts. Bruce Parry. And you mentioned you didn't read a book, but favourite book. You must remember one. Yeah. Um, there's a really good Richard Branson book, um, but sports autobiographies. Ian Botham, Alex Ferguson, Roy Keane, uh, sports autobiographies. So let's go for um, George Best. George Best, famous United, yeah, fair enough. All right, that's that's been brilliant. Thank you very much to that, uh, very much for that today. It's been uh, really insightful, a really positive guy, and um, I look forward to speaking to you soon.
really enjoyed it and thanks very much for the opportunity. For more information on Pulse Roll, you can find them at their website, pulseroll.com. To find more about Paul, he is on Instagram at one Paul McCabe. That's one P-A-U-L-M-C-C-A-B-E. And that's it for this episode of the On Your Marks podcast. If you'd like more information on GW Active, check out gwactive.com. Thanks for listening and we hope you join us again soon.